Warrior Poet. <laughs> With the live <laughs> intro to the Warrior Poet podcast. What's up, my friends? Farangi, how are you doing, my brother? Beautiful, man. So a little backstory on this gentleman that I have sitting across from me today. Um, I met Parangi a couple years ago when I was doing this epic liver cleanse. This place at that point uh, was the beginnings of the Rejuvenation Performance Institute. And I went there and I got some body work done from you. I just signed up. Parangi. Okay. But I heard in whispers and people talking about, about this dude that does massage. I was like, yeah, all right, whatever, I'm in. I was just in the mode of like saying yes. I was like, yes, yes, whatever's coming, I'm saying yes. Mm. And I went in there and what went down in that room, I then understood why it was talked about in these kind of hushed tones of reverence. Because at a certain point, you were working on my low back and then you were working on my left shoulder and then you were working on my mid back at the same time. And I was like, wow, that feels good. Wait a minute. That's three hands. What the hell? How's that even possible? There's three hands going right now. So either you grew an alien arm, which is possible. <laughs> I'm not saying that that's not possible for you or um, something else was going on. And that was kind of the introduction. We obviously um, started up a friendship that's now we're more like family now than friends and shared a lot of journeys together. Been down to Peru with you, worked with you many times. And just been able to see some of your unique gifts. And I'd love to just talk about them, talk about what they've taught me about myself and taught me about the world and, you know, kind of share a little bit of that magic that you bring, which weaves music and um, massage and all of these different techniques together to create this really amazing effect. So the longest intro ever <laughs> before I've allowed my guests to talk. But thank you for being here, Farangi. Welcome, my brother. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Aubrey. Such a so moment. let's start at the beginning a little bit and give people a little bit of the backstory because it's important when I'm trying to explain where it comes from, like explaining kind of where you came from, your family history, and then you know where you grew up in Brazil. Mm. All right. Well, beleza. Welcome, everyone. Um, so my name is Porangi, and I come from uh, down south, the deep south, as some may call it, you know. Um, Brazil. I was born there. Uh, my father's from Mexico. My mother's Brasileira. And I grew up bouncing in between Las Americas. So I think of myself more as a Panamericano, more Pan-American mm -hmm. than, than from one specific place. But now I'm a... Alien is more more <laughs> real than that. But whatever, you can tie yourself to geography if you want, you, know. <laughs> you won't fool the people who know you, but whatever. You can try and fool some of my good guests here. <laughs> Pretend like you're from a place in the, in the world. But all right. We'll start there. So, so yeah, so so it actually all goes back. There's a pretty trippy story about how it all started. And uh, my my mother, my father met in Palenque, which is a very powerful place here on the planet. And um, they're no longer together. But the one story that they both always would tell me as I was growing up, they're like, the way we met was a very magical time. And it was actually, um, my father was there teaching Mayan art. He was actually burns into leather. And, and I think I've shown you some of his pieces. Mm -hmm. But um, so he was teaching that actually there in Palenque and he was in the Baños de la Reina, which is in the ruins. It's these waterfalls, these sacred waterfalls. And my mother happened to be there with another girlfriend of hers. She was traveling through basically in a, in a troupe, like doing a street performance, kind of uh, raising awareness, consciousness, kind of more, you know, on the edge kind of stuff. And musically or? Musically, yeah. 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 yeah performing and and uh, with a group from all over South America. So they were just kind of on their break and she happened to be there. So anyways, my dad was there with this friend of his and they'd just taken San Isidro mushrooms, um, which was- Is that a psilocybin based or? It is, yeah. yeah. It was one of the sacred sacraments of the Maya and um, it grows all over the region of Palenque. So if you go in July after the rains, man, go out in the fields, you can just find it. And so he, and this, I found this later as an adult. We might need to make show notes for that there, there, Rava, and let people know exactly where to go and what rains. I feel like my audience would be curious about that. Field trip to Brazil. Palenque. Palenque. Just make sure you get your good mycology field guide here. You gotta be careful, you man. You don't wanna eat the wrong shit, all right? Don't eat the wrong shit. So, 
he literally just had had these these honguitos and los niños as they call them there the children because they're the little teachers mm-hmm. and um and his friend was across the other side of this like river bank and he's sitting there with waterfalls these cascading waterfalls they have travertine kind of like have a supai falls in the grand canyon mm-hmm. and so he's sitting in one of the lower pools and he's standing next to this tree trunk and his friend starts pointing down at the tree trunk and like in the water and like waving him like getting his attention and my dad said he looks down and he sees in the water and what's swimming right to him as this huge serpent huge water snake and it's like coming right right where he's standing right for him anaconda not anaconda but another actual venomous water snake that's Uh that's in that jungle yeah yeah in the mexicano style so Mm -hmm. it's coming for him and he's like you know what do i do like everything medicine's just kicking in he's like okay facing all my fears right away you know pachamama's like what's up and so he um he decides okay i think i'm gonna get out of its way i don't want to fight the snake right now so he climbs up the waterfall to the next little pool up above and he looks down and as he turns down he says he watches the serpent and it goes right into that tree trunk that he was standing by and it was like it's it's home and it just slides right into it and disappears and he's just like his breath just takes like oh my god you know he's facing death right there he turns around in the pool and my mother is actually bathing in this pool and that's how they met and they both say the rest is kind of history, you know. What they say. <laughs> so was that was that the moment? That was the moment, man. When, when so so when if you <laughs> want to make an alien baby, this, it takes one part psychedelic mushrooms, one part cosmic serpent, and chance encounter with another individual, and just procreate immediately. Ever if you find yourself in that circumstance, just have sex unprotected, no condoms, no nothing. Just go for it. You might produce an alien baby that'll benefit the world forever. All right. So I'm teaching you things. This is a very didactic podcast. So take notes, get your notebook, (laughs) figure it out. All right. So understand if you're in that situation, raw dog, that's it. (laughs) That's my only, that's my advice. (laughs) So, so that's a, they both say that was like the magic of how it all began. And and so I ended up being born in Brazil because my mother, after they split up, he had to come back. My dad was in the Arizona. That's Mm -hmm. why I'm in Arizona now. And my mother went back to Brazil and she found out she was pregnant with me. Um, and then it was the whole journey of how to get us kind of reunite right. them. And so that was kind of the kickstart. And, you know, it's uh, my whole life has been a ping pong between them and between Brazil and Mexico and Arizona and the Southwest and yeah. the U.S. So, yeah, as a result, it's been this epic journey of, of a lot of ceremony in various contexts, speaking, growing up with three languages. And, um, yeah, kind of always asking the question, like, who am I? Why was I given this trippy name, Porangi? You know, it's like... Right. And it's because of, and last name McGrew, like of the Scotch Irish. So it's like you know <laughs> the Irish get around, as they say. <laughs> so truly, just being um, wrestling with who am I, and then now is in retrospect being like, oh, I'm a bridger. I'm a shakaruna. That's part of the medicine that mm. I'm supposed to carry. Is like, how do I bridge these worlds and understanding these different worlds? Yeah, and one of those worlds that you were in was a traditional ayahuasca church when you were in Brazil. So. Um, for those of you who don't know, there's a couple churches, the UDV and the Church of Santo Daime. Union do Vegetal, yeah. Union of the Plants, and Santo Daime. Yeah, and they take ayahuasca in a predominantly Christian religious context. That The, the Daime is the more, Daime does. more Christian style, yeah. Right, and yeah. then the UDV is still pretty regimented, but just doesn't have the, yeah. the Christian flavor in it. Right, so they're both churches. So mm-hmm. like when we think of a church, you know, or just a spiritual congregation, it's very organized um, I, you know, it's it's hard to call it Christian. I mean, there's definitely like references to Christ. And, and when we sing, instead of Icaros, like we would do in Peru, we sing what's called Inos. And the Inos are like hymns. Mm. And But there, when you hear the lyrics and you really start to understand the, the deeper, deeper levels, yeah. yeah, there's there's definitely It's almost like the, the Gnostic Christianity or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. I guess, you, yeah, you could put it like that. There's, there's elements of Christianity woven, but there's also elements of Yoruba tradition, of like Candomblé, of the Orishas from Africa. Mm-hmm. So, so you'll hear songs like to different Orishas, like to Yemanja, the goddess of the ocean, or to Oshun, the goddess of the fresh waters. Like these, these elements that you wouldn't hear in a Christian church necessarily. So it's, yeah. it's, that's the thing about Brazil is that in Brazil, there's like no... There's, the, the, boundaries are, the boundaries are a little more seamless, a little They've more definitely fluid. Been, deeply integrated <laughs> when how old were you when you first took ayahuasca oh gosh um my first my first experience with it was probably didn't come till later and it was i was in like 20 years old oh really you didn't have any as part Notice. of the church so you just got it kind of as like a contact high. exactly i've exactly. heard stories that people have taken it really young really young yeah, some kids who were there all the time, because my mother had already come to the States. She was studying. She came up and, and got her master's degree into bilingual education. Actually became a sun dancer. She was adopted by a Diné family in Arizona. 
and uh, learn Navajo. That was her second language. So she mm-hmm. was teaching Diné. Um, that's not an easy language to learn. No, man. Code that's talkers. like the most difficult language <laughs> to learn. That's why they were the code talkers in World War II, right? You don't, just, like, you don't just learn Navajo on a whim. You know, there's no, there's, <laughs> there's no, no Navajo Rosetta Stone out there. You know? <laughs> no. That doesn't exist. Tim Ferriss doesn't know Navajo. You know, if you go up to him and he starts telling you about all the languages he knows because he likes to talk about that. I love you, Tim. You know, sorry about that. But... <laughs> He doesn't know Navajo. No. No. It's, it's he might fun. now, actually. He loves challenges. And if he hears that I was so we'll calling him out. Tim, if, if you're hearing this, I'm calling you out. Learn some Navajo. Check. Check. <laughs> Check. So that was, so she was already up here. So I didn't get that. So in high school, when I was just in my formative years in the States, learning, really getting my English down, that's, um, I was actually studying with Jesuit priests at that time. And I was at a Jesuit school, which was a real trip because then I was getting this real strong Catholic kind of download. But the Jesuits are this branch of Catholicism that's very much Jedi training, mm-hmm. you know, because they, they their whole spiritual practice is meditation based, mm-hmm. unlike any of the other branches. I mean, not to say prayer isn't a form of meditation, but very much so like Jedi style. So when I was with them, I was doing silent retreats, four day retreats in high school, like already then. And then I'd go spend the summer with my mom up on the res at Sundance and ceremony. How many high schoolers now are doing, I mean, even like a silent four hours, you know, I mean, it's such a, such a thing. One of my big messages, I was even asked in an interview yesterday, guy kind of caught me off guard and he asked me, is this your message? I said, well, you know, I have many messages. He's like, well, what's your main one? And I'm like, well, shit. All right. If I guess I have to say something, it's be still like Mm -hmm. find stillness and stillness is choice. And that's when you stop the momentum of your life and can actually choose what you want to bring in. But first you have to get still. And all of these methods are ways to get still. And one way to get still is just shut the fuck up for a moment. You you know, like not just stop talking to yourself, stop talking to your, you know, through your phone, through your text, through, you know, conversations, just be quiet, you know, and that's it. I mean, you can be by yourself and still be, talking up a storm in your own mind, working through pacing, thinking through things. Just stop, stop talking for a little while. So that's another key aspect is you, as we're, as we're tracking this, you know, <laughs> the etymology of Ferrangi's life, like where it come from. Okay. Days, periods of stillness, deep stillness. And that's something that I've noticed in all great healers and all great medicine keepers is the ability to be still. Because if you're, if you're, the goal of a medicine keeper is to provide a tranquil place like a this placid stream so that the other person's vibrations can come in and then you can decide what to do with them but if you come with a tumultuous ocean you know and then it's just going to create more ripples either way so all medicine keepers have to find that access to stillness and all conscious people the same way that's the thing you really notice about people when they're really plugged in it's just like still the space between the notes. Yeah, totally. That's, that's why totally. I say the healing power is in the space between the notes. Mm-hmm. That's always been, um, you know, that informs my music, that informs the healing practice, that informs everything. It's right. Like when we pause between the breath, what's the moment, right, as we finish the exhale or before the inhale, that moment of infinite space. Mm-hmm. And that's once we tap into that and expand that, that is, yeah, that's it. So then you blended that with some <laughs> pretty, you know, traditional western collegiate experience as well in the study of music that way so take us through that chapter yeah so so kind of after that whole journey when i finally kind of got stabilized here on stateside um i got a scholarship to go to duke university over in north carolina and um i thought i was going to be a doctor at the time kind of had you know no one in my family had gotten to that level actually of uh of academia and so I, I felt, you know, like I need to do this right. I've always been called to the healing path. My mm-hmm. grandmother was a healer, my, my mother. Um, and so I've always been working with my hands and, and vibration in that way. And um, so I thought, oh, medicine. I mean, that's the way. So I got into it, um, got into Duke, was doing the pre-meds track, you know, full on with the scholarship. And I thought, we're good to go. I, I did my first time interning in a critical care unit. It was actually a burn unit. Um, intensive care and and uh, I was shadowing the doctor and we'd go in there and I just watched these guys and they would walk in they wouldn't even look at this child it was a pediatric unit and these kids you know third degree burns all over their body and they wouldn't even look at him they'd look at the chart you know take a couple notes and then they hand it to me and be like okay follow up with him you know help develop rapport make sure you spend some time with him and, and left and that was like 
And I was like, this isn't healing. This isn't medicine. Right. And that's, that was the big aha moment where I just, I got out of that and I was like, okay. Well, it may not. I mean, you can't even blame the doctors necessarily for that because no, they're not trained in how to deal with, you know, even the emotional load that that takes. You have to shut it off. You know, like you have to, unless you're able to work with it and like work with that energy by bringing it in, better to just not look at all maybe. And so mm-hmm. that you can just keep functioning and go from one to the other. You know, if you open up your heart to those kind of, feelings that can be really probably presumably really rough is that and there's no training for the doctors to do that so it's like a defense mechanism it's like i better not connect with this not all doctors are like that you know i'm sure there's some exceptional ones out there we obviously know one that's like that yeah we know some but you know it seems like that's kind of like this the system doesn't isn't built for that the system is built for you know fixing as much as you can with quickly you know symptoms treat those symptoms get the next one out you know and and it's all built around the hmos you know i mean that's Mm -hmm. a deep subject in and of itself but it's twisted you know the business model i mean consumer culture it's when it's tentacles into everything and it's it's beautiful and it's a curse it's this interesting paradox but you decided that's not for me that's not for me so i actually got into neuroscience right after that so then i started studying i had a good friend of mine who was a he's actually a he was a neuroscientist doing his postdoc at Duke, and um, he was actually also capoeirista. So we used to train capoeira together. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Man, come work with me in the lab." So I started working in the lab with him and doing really. Give cool us a research. little. Give us a little. Can you give us a little capoeira on your on your instrument there? A little what's capoeira. A little, yeah. What's a little, a little beat? beat? Yeah, yeah. Give us a little beat. Everybody, if everybody wants to jenga at home alone. <laughs> Come on, people, you can Jenga. You watched only the strong. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> so, yeah, so the, that was it, man. So we were, we were deep brothers. His name actually was Siddhartha. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, incredible, man. So I worked in the lab with him and I, I worked with all these little rats. And, you know, then I saw what is truly the silent holocaust of science. The, all it the, is, is the, the rat, it's just rat, just rat homicide, not, and not rat just genocide. Rats, mice, horses, ferrets. I mean, Duke, la- this lab I used to work in, you'd go into the basement and underground and they have all these animals on different sleep the cycles. catacombs. It was crazy, man. These doors would open up and like in these, all these different like chambers would be all these different animals on different sleep schedules and different various things, gerbils, hamsters. I mean, you name it, it's like a, it's a zoo. And they're all destined for death. All those animals are in there just in the name of science. They're all mm-hmm. being sacrificed to the gods of science. And I mean, I love science. I think we benefit as a humanity and the earth to some degree benefits. But it's, there's also this real cost is being paid right. by the animal kingdom. And that was a big awakening for me there. And here I am a vegetarian, you know, like I grew right. up, my mother raised me vegetarian, not because it was trendy. And, uh, and here I'm, I'm like, I got to kill all these animals. So part of our process, we were studying the brain and learning and how learning is deeply processed into the brain and deeper cycles of sleep. And so we would sleep deprive these rats, have them do these different tests, like run a maze and different experiments. And then we'd have to kill them at a certain point in the test after six weeks. And it's like, put, you have to inject them, you gas them, you inject them. So it's real humane. And then you have to put them in a guillotine, chop their head off, a little rat guillotine. And We're not talking sp- jujitsu, people. No. We're talking French Revolution. Straight up. We're talking Marie Antoinette style. <laughs> Hardcore, right? man. Little like guillotine. I mean, with a little lever, the whole thing. And then you have three minutes before the neurotransmitters like break down. Like a bagel down. slicer, people. Like a bagel slicer. I hate to say it. Sorry if anyone gets queasy with the stuff. But it, believe me, it was hard for me as a vegetarian doing all that, right? Right. And, and so we would have to get their brain into deep ice, basically, and put it into cryogenic freeze before the neurotransmitters break down. And then my job as like the lowly intern was to then put it into this giant cryogenic meat slicer and make, you know, these nanometer like thin cross sections, sagittal cuts of, brain of the brain. And then we'd put those on dishes and then we stain them. And then you'd see what areas of the brain was active learning for instance so all of that was like this trippy process i remember the day i'm sitting there with the cryogenic freaking meat machine and i'm sitting next to siddhartha walks in i'm like bro i'm like i want to work with humans i want to i want to help people wake up and and experience like you know and connect what is vibration what is healing and i want to be able to do that with humans like i don't want to have to kill all these animals and finally like in the medical model is in the way what do i do and he goes porangi he's like ole cara he's like in portuguese you know he's like you you have two options. If you want to work with a human being legally in this country, you either have to go back and study medicine 
to touch a human or you have to be a massage therapist. And I was like, all right. <laughs> it was just it became really clear to me, man. Yeah. And that's when I jumped into and got my, my license as a therapist. And the rest has just been an evolution since then. That was 12 years ago or so, man. <laughs> wow, that's really interesting. Well, and you picked up, you did pick up some other things that I think you mentioned Along from the from the school. You know, you talk about one of your favorite instruments is the didgeridoo. Oh, yeah. And you've talked about some studies that you became aware of where playing the didge will actually cure sleep apnea in a lot of different cases like a lot of cool <laughs> scientific things that you kind of discovered along that path so even though it wasn't ultimately the way it was an important part of the way huge part i mean it gave me the chops to be able to know how to do research how to really look at things critically how to really question things there's a lot of people who work in the more unseen sciences or like the healing arts and you know some people call it like at the far extreme you have the real subtle energy work subtle body energy work that is almost woo woo or like you know too new agey and oh and i've been there you know what i'm talking I've about i've sat right? there at those tables and, where they're waving shit around and there's they've yeah. got crystals and copper bracelets up to their fucking throats <laughs> and not shit is happening i mean there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing going on so, you know so there's a lot, there's this full extreme. And then there's the other end where it's just like straight up, like if you don't, if it doesn't cut, if you cut it, it doesn't bleed. You know what I mean? Like right. it's just the hard. So there's this like whole. Our, like our masseuse named Carl. Exactly. Carl is a good masseuse. He gets in there, he pulverizes muscles. <laughs> muscles are not the same as they were when they came in. And that's good. There's a place for that. It's right. better than them, somebody rubbing an amethyst on my butthole. You know, that's like, that's, I'd prefer a good deep tissue massage or some myofascial, but there is something else yeah. there's this third way and you know maybe even hard for people as we get into this it's going to sound like what the hell is Aubrey talking about he's lost his fucking mind but i've been there i felt it and i'm yeah. committed to being honest and then you know so i'm just going to explain you know what i've felt in that yeah. experience but how did you start to kind of did you have a, a teacher or were you kind of self-taught just kind of by seeing and and working with it that way yeah so as i mentioned earlier you know my grandmother actually went back in, in her later years, and she, she had a full career as a teacher. She was a bilingual teacher in Spanish and worked in inner city with inner city kids in Phoenix, Arizona, and um, for a long time. And she was always my inspiration. She was always the one who stood there. Like, she was the one who pushed me to go to Duke. And before I even went to Duke, I went to China. I got a scholarship to go there and lived in Beijing for a year. And she's always been the one, like, pushing me. It was always my grandmother. Mm. And so she's, and she went back after she retired and got her license as a therapist. And actually went back and decided it was time. And she always had powerful healing hands. And I always knew that as a child. She'd always lay her hands on me. And then it was like she went back and got that training. So do you think that, you know, because I've noticed mm -hmm. some things when I've felt something, it's almost imparted a little bit of that gift upon me. Not that I can do what you can do, but I'm a hell of a lot closer now that I've felt what you can do to doing it. And there's mm -hmm. been other people who I've experienced some, some gift that they have that has been mm -hmm. able to kind of teach me this this other way so do you think from a very early age do you think well, basically my question is was it passed genetically is this something that's mm. in the bloodline or is it just something that it's a gift that's been cultivated that gets taught by the application of it it's a great question I, I feel like it's a little bit of both and I think there's a third component which is um, there's a level of there's other beings the unseen dimension mm -hmm. you know there's the seen and the unseen worlds and I really believe at this point in all the experiences that I've had till now and the lifetimes is that there's definitely other beings that are working with me and through me. Um, there's only so much that I do as in my monkey suit. And then there's yeah. a level at which I literally just have to get out of the way and allow the work to be done. And so it's more about creating the sacred space, the container, which is really where the magic happens. And then I think that's mm. like analogous. But that still is, you know, and that's exactly the right way to look at it, exactly what's happening. But the skill is in then creating this space that allows these beings to come through. It's not like they come through with everybody. I mean, the amethyst butthole rubber is not getting being, beings <laughs> coming in and, you know, and you're not feeling scared the beings. Yeah. <laughs> there's the, there's those, sodomizing, <laughs> those, those sodomizing forces in mass. You want to stay away from those. <laughs> but, and when you say that, you know, this all guy, this already might, you know, be sending people off like what the hell are they talking about but <laughs> when you're there and you feel it i remember in this last session that we had and mm -hmm. so let me just set you know we're, we're about it's about time to set the stage right so traditional massage table and then you surround it with 
your own instruments. And sometimes the massage table itself becomes like a speaker so that you can play music through. And it's music that you've created or cultivated or mm -hmm. uh, specific vibrational sounds and things. And on one level, it feels very much like a traditional massage. You're doing a lot of things by manipulating the body and moving the body and pushing things around. But then there's this whole other layer that's happening on top of it. And it took me till this last experience with you where I really realized what you're doing. And what I realized was that there's a reflection of our body that's in the energy form. You know, it's like an energy field that's an, a mirror of our body. And when things get, get out of whack and things are a little bit misaligned, there's two ways that you can go about it because they're both mirrors of each other. So you can affect the body, which will affect the energy field around you, or you can affect the energy field, which will subtly affect the body, or you can work with both of them. And that's where the most powerful healing occurs, very much like the cleansing quality of something like ayahuasca, which is working on you know, the, the energy level around your body, but as well, purging out a lot of things through your body physically. So it's mm -hmm. just like double action, which makes it such a transformative medicine. Your medicine is doing the same. You're working with vibration, sound, your own energy field by indirectly manipulating the energy field that's the mirror of our body, as well as working with the body to affect the energy field in both ways. Would you say that's a, a fair representation of, of some of what you're doing out there? <laughs> it's, it's great to hear it articulated. Yeah. I mean, I would say, I'd say it's, it's in the zone for sure. Yeah. Of what's happening. Yeah. Um, it's, I think there's so many layers to it and there's, there's layers to it. It, you know, it's, it's not just it, when we talk about the manipulating, right? There's a lot in what I've learned. In my earlier days, it was more manipulating. And as, as I go further, it's like learning where it's really creating space. Like when we create space, just like when we're creating space in the ceremony, mm. right? When we're sitting with the ayah, with the medicine or any medicine. When we create that space and when we do it in the body locally, right? Or in the energetic body, it's like it suddenly allows through your breath to then unravel and release the somatic traumas that are stored there or the charge that's stored there or the ancestral trauma that's stored there. So we're actually able to heal forward and backwards through time. That's where we're able to really get to the good stuff. And usually most of the time, most massage, it's like you're just fighting someone's armor. They come in and they're just like so stressed out. They've been looking at the iPhone all day. They've been bombarded with all this information. Their minds are still racing. They're just totally disembodied. And so it's like, for me, the other component to what you're saying, it's like it's also educating people. You, you spoke about the dig. So that's been one of my biggest teachers has been the didgeridoo. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this ancient instrument that is the oldest instrument, physical instrument outside of our voice that humanity knows, right? And all it is is a tube. And it's just extending and enabling us to do this thing called circular, or I like to call spiral breath. And what is that? It's, it's this infinite breath. And it's like touching into like the loop player. Before there was a looper, mm -hmm. they were already looping, you know, with the dig. And it's so simple. It's in the breath, when we ride the spiral of the breath, because it's, if it's just circular, it's, it's only 2D, right? But when we go, so that's why I call it spirals, because we're moving. It's like ascending like the helix of the DNA. It's like we're, we're able to actually evolve through that breath. And, it's, and it weaves all the way back, seven generations, all the way forward, seven generations. And so as we're healing in that moment through your breath, and as me as the therapist connecting to your breath, it's like we can go into the spaciousness, into that pause between the breath, yeah, and then access what's going on. You lost 90% of us at that, okay. <laughs> and that, and that thing. So I'm going to go back to the space and then we'll, back, we'll, back, we'll start to we'll bring in the breath, right? Because you went, you went too fast, even, even for me. <laughs> so, all right. So when you're talking about creating space, a good way to visualize that, that I just kind of thought about, like yeah. imagine your body, your body comes out like a memory foam of like the ideal body, like what your body is capable of being. And that memory foam is different for everybody, but it follows a general blueprint. And then all of these traumas and these different ways that we work our body creates like indentions in the memory foam, mm. you know, so that these things are a little bit not quite the way they would be, you know, if they were expressing their, their natural truest form. And the creating space is not necessarily pushing it, molding it like a piece of clay into something new. It's saying, here, let me take this pressure off this one section. So this memory foam, which knows what it's supposed to be, you know, knows what its blueprint is can return to its regular form and just allowing the space to allow the, the both the body and the you know the its mirror the energy field to return back mm. to that to that space but one of the tools that's really important in that 
is, you know, using like a rudder is our breath, you know, and that's just one of like the, the mechanisms that allows you to form that connection and allows you to do the work is to tack in, you know, track in with the breath. Yeah. And the, and the breath is like, that's everything. It, it's like the beginning and the end and the middle is all happens in the breath and the unfolding of the breath. And so that, that breath, which you just did is exactly it too. Like, as you know, in our sessions, it's like exhaling in through the nose, exhaling out the mouth. And there's just something about when we breathe in like that, the aperture of the mouth is so much larger than the nostrils. So exhaling out that mouth, that sigh breath is just like releasing all of the weight. Just like letting that all melt away, literally surrender. Mm. And that's the key is that surrendering. It's like when we put our weapon down and like, that's, that's it. There's nothing else. Yeah. And when we do that, that's when the body unravels. That's when those things we've been holding, those patterns, a lot of times they're patterns. So for instance, like you're talking about this memory foam suit, mm -hmm. right? So you're this five-year-old kid. You're in the back seat. Your parents, the family car, you get into a car accident, you get side hit. That memory in your body of that moment, you may have been like reading a book or playing on a phone or something. And all of a sudden that's ingrained that pattern is now in your body even though maybe you didn't break a bone but the impact in the sounds and everything was imprinted the amygdala the hippocampus it all memorizes that and actually doesn't get stored just in the nervous system it gets stored in the fascia and that's where a lot of people don't you know you hear this word myofascia like what is that you know mm -hmm. it's a really fancy word all it means is it's the connective tissue it is the web of our body like literally if you've ever seen a chicken breast and i'm a vegetarian but i know chicken breasts right <laughs> and you pull back that skin there's that layer outside of the muscle this that kind of rainbow colored layer that's real thin that you cut it and then all of a sudden poof, it pulls away and then there's the muscle that's the fascia and that webby stuff that's through that thin layer it wraps everything it's what holds all our organs from gravity making you know our stomach fall into our ass it's what it's what holds us together no it's offense what if your stomach's falling into Sorry. your ass yeah no you offense know, it's okay it's just your you know <laughs> You can work on that. I'll you work know, on that hit one. Hit the gym. But you get the idea. And so, and, and literally tendons and ligaments are just dense parts of connective tissue. Right. So there's this, there's this term that's used, um, this brilliant term that was Buckminster Fuller came up with called a, a transegrity structure. What a great name. Right? Buckminster Fuller. Fuller, right? So bunky balls, right? Like a soccer ball, that geometry. Uh -huh. Well, the tr this transegrity structure is literally this idea that our bones, when we look at like a typical, you know, anatomy lab and you see a structure like a skeleton, that what's holding it together? It's all those little metal pins right that you see that's keeping mm -hmm. all those bones from just being a pile of bones well the truth is, is that the human body we're a bunch of bones floating in a sea of web connective tissue that's just holding it it's just like straps moving in mm -hmm. all dimensions and so these these straps and what we've been discovering recently in the last five years literally is that fascia remembers things so it's stored these different traumatic experiences are literally stored in the fascia also pleasurable experiences so but it's all stored it's like a memory it's like the embodied memory and so you access that memory and you can unravel those old traumas through the breath right. and spaciousness. So that's really the underlying kind of level of, of when we get into that energy work, it's super subtle. And medically it's being proven that it remembers. Like there's, mm. there's electrical charge in the fascia. And what's happened in classical medicine is that when you go and I was, you know, took anatomy, lots of anatomy classes, is that what do you do? When you see a cadaver, they've cut all the fascia away. When you look at a Gray's Anatomy book, mm. you're looking at just the muscles. They cut all the fascia, so they dissected the body. And in dissecting the body, Western medicine missed the whole fucking point. Excuse my language. But it, it's that... We say fuck a lot. You do? I, I, okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Chinga. Just, yeah, we'll get it out of the so, way. So, <laughs> <laughs> we just get that out there. That's cathartic. Yeah, yeah, sure. So... <laughs> So really, we, we screwed it up because we missed the whole point, which is the body, it's, it's all about the fascia. It's the connectivity. It's the mm. connective tissue. It is the web. It is the internet of our bodies. And we've cut it away in medicine. So now, only recently, is Western medicine being like, oh, shit, I think we actually missed something. And a lot of our sickness and ailments is actually coming, stemming out of that. So you go see a chiropractor, chiropractors are great. They're gonna crack you back into shape. But the problem is that you're gonna pop right back out because everything that's holding those bones there is still in that old habit form pattern from the trauma. And until you address that, it's just gonna pop. So they have clients forever. They're gonna be making money for a long time. Right. So, and so it's the fashion. It's also, you know, the muscles do play a part in that too. When the totally. muscles are over tightened, you know, and that's, that's it. People ask me about chiropractors and I say, yeah, there's a specific instance where you're, there is a skeletal misalignment. Something's totally. caught and something needs to get 
Oh, yeah. yeah. Thank you. But a lot of times it's just, we build these muscular imbalances, too much bench press, too much, you know, too much quad dominance over hamstring dominance, right. too much, these things rotating our shoulders forward. Sternocleidomastoid. Yeah. Pulling yeah. Your pulling your neck, neck back. Forward. I have a, a bad one. I'm working on that's that one That's the one, one we work on yeah, a lot. That's the one we work you. on all the time. Yeah. And, <clears throat> you know, so if, even if I get my neck pop, my neck's going to go right back to that spot because the muscles are that tense. You got to work with those, work with the connective and tissue. And the fascia is holding fascia. that. Yeah. Yeah. Because see, that's the other piece is that, you know, the muscles may have like, there may be scars, real scars in the muscles, but everything that definitely scars, no matter what you do, even an injection into you, just an injection creates scarring, not only in the muscle, but in the connective tissue. And it's in what I only inject right between my toes. Well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy scarring in between your toes, Aubrey. <laughs> yeah. It's just, that's, that's just where I go with my, my spread heroin. Your toes. <laughs> when I, my heroin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do heroin, people. I'm just joking. I don't inject between my toes. He doesn't. I, I've seen his toes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's 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 really what's up. And so so as we as we address the the muscle tissue, it's like you always remember that the muscle though is being held by the connective tissue. So if the connective tissue is restricted, it doesn't matter how open your muscle how right. long or how strong your muscle is you'll never have that full range because the connective tissue is literally like a noose it's like a it's like the shirt mm. so if my shirt's like oh, like a wetsuit yeah man like you're trying to move too your tight muscle wetsuit. like one of those bench press shirts you ever, i don't know if anybody's tried on one of those bench press shirts it helps you bench press an extra 30 pounds but like rotates your whole body like super forward like then you stretch it back out with the bar <laughs> and then you, you press even more that's really important <laughs> for the monkeys to be able to do that it's like super it's like a super important you know measurement tool for monkeys so you get shirts that'll pull your arms together extra 90 pounds so you can push that up even more but that's what our fascia is doing to a certain degree as well it's exactly. you know in these levels that is forcing our body into certain positions so that's why one of the things that you do that's a little different than a lot of other massage even most myofascial is you're actually you'll take handfuls of skin and you'll start pulling on the skin too like which, working, is, fascia. which yeah. is fascia, like working the fascia directly as well as working the muscles, you know, totally. not ignoring that layer. Yeah. Cause, so really the approach, you know, in the way I see it is, is you want to unravel, unwind the myofascial sheath, right? What's holding, what's wrapping everything. Mm -hmm. Once you've got that unraveled and opened up, then now we can actually get to the muscles. Because until that, you're basically, when people just go and do deep tissue, like, you know, I don't want to say this is blanket statement, but like as a generalization, it's like you're just going in there and you're just, you're running through everything. Kind of like you were saying, you know, it's like yeah. you're just, you're blasting through it all and you're actually creating, introducing more scarring, more trauma. So the body's even like, ah, and so it's actually in that, what are you doing? Are you breathing or are you going... <sighs> I'm clinching my butthole. You're fucking clinching your butthole with that amethyst. <laughs> yeah. Right? So yeah. It's like, yeah. And, that's, and that is, defeats the whole purpose. That's actually like the total opposite of what we want. So mm. unravel, let the armor come off. Unwind the armor. Once the armor's off, now we can get to the good stuff. Right. And then once we get through that, then we go to the energetic body. Mm -hmm. And that's when the really good stuff happens. Because that's when we start healing stuff that, that connects to like, where's the feminine mask in our body? What's going on? Where are we just like trying to make up because we didn't have a good relationship with her father or a good relationship with our mother? And how's that now playing out in our life? And that's where it gets into a, a psychosomatic level sure. that, that, you know, it's almost psychology, really. But that's not my job. You know, I can't say that I'm doing that. I'm just holding space. You're just but creating the space for that to go. And you see it all the time. I've talked to probably over 50 people that have been, you know, in session with you. And a common thread through most of these sessions is that at certain points, they'll break out into abject hilarity, you know, just laughter. And it's not because you're tickling them. It's because something released some pleasurable memory, some, you know, some really cool thing that happened that was remembered there. And then at other points, They'll break into, you know, deep, you know, cathartic sobs, yeah. you know, and these different emotions will run through as you're working through that. And that's something, it's not like you go in and you're, you're pre-warning people like, hey, you're going to, you know, planting the idea like, hey, you're going to cry at some point, you're going to laugh at some point, And then they're just going along with it. like, this is happening independently over and over again, you know, which has provided this. And I've felt that myself not as much now you know we've had enough sessions that you've you've, you've <laughs> popped as many some. most of those psychic zits so there's not a lot of that <laughs> so my zits. yeah so my <laughs> so my experiences are a little bit different now but you know that's just a common thread that yeah. you see through that but i've you know 
I've felt that even in, uh, so you, you know, for people who don't know, Parangi was out here doing uh, an activation with Black Swan Yoga where he's providing live music with yoga. And that's a great tool too for de-armoring and connecting with breath. I mean, amazing. You're stretching both fascia and muscle. You're connecting to breath. You're pushing through. So it's really doing a lot of the work for you. And then with just the music alone, you finish off in that Shavasana, in that final meditation. And you brought that flute in yesterday. And I just started to tear up and I had no idea why, you know, I was feeling great. I was like, Oh, this is great. And then you start playing the flute. I'm like, and I'm crying now and I'm crying now. This doesn't make any sense, but I'm going to go with it. You know, there's something that that vibration, you know, just unlocked to a certain degree. And then, so let's talk a little bit about the vibration element because that's that's the other level then. right, Right. So, you know, I, I think if you read like Jeremy Narby's book, you know, he talks about how all, you know, cells and photons, they can be expressed as light. Mm-hmm. You know, photons are light. Cells are light. We are light. That's like a scientific fact. But, and the other part, we're also movement. Mm-hmm. Every one of our cells, even a rock is moving. All the atoms are moving in that. So we're movement. And with movement is vibration. You can't have movement without vibration. So exactly. we are and I think there's these, these terminologies that get used interchangeably because we are light. Yeah, so the light body, that's true. But we're also vibration because we're constantly these cells that are moving that are at a vibration. So we're both at the same time. It's kind of like quantum physics where if you're looking for a particle, you see a particle. If you're looking for a wave, you see a wave. Well, how is that possible? Well, because it's both things. It's both things. So we're light, we're vibration, and we're, you know, we're matter. That is, that is what matter is. Matter is both light and vibration. You know, and so vibration and light, I mean, you can use light as a tool as well, and, uh, yeah. but your tool particularly, because, you know, the subtleties available to you through the musical instruments is right. to use vibration and tap into the vibrational nature of the body. Absolutely. So, so we talked about breath, right? Breath is a very gross vibration. It's constantly happening. The wave, the breath, right? And when we get into stuff, what happens to the breath? It usually will shut down or it will get very thick, very tense. And as we get into things where that suddenly is blocked and remove that blockage, suddenly the breath is expansive. And so that's our goal is to create that expansiveness so that there's no restriction here and that light body can shine. Yeah. And that's really kind of in, in that sense. Now, on the vibrational sense, as far as sonically speaking, and which is kind of the domain that I've, you know, this lifetime around has been the medicine I've been also asked to carry. And it's, it's about, for me, what I've discovered in, in all my work is when you then apply vibration, subtle vibration and more intense vibration to the body, when we're on the edge, when we're in the breath and we're working through these different myofascial layers, when you suddenly add in like we're stuck, like we get into some stuff that's like, oh man, this is like some old stuff. It's like when you can suddenly add a vibration to that and bring that, it's like all of a sudden, it like it literally shakes it out. Mm. It really starts to unravel that that much faster. And so we can get change that would normally take multiple sessions. We can achieve the same results or greater results in less time. And that can happen on all kinds of levels from sonically speaking, like when we use the sound table and we actually like amplify sounds up through the body, or if it's happening in literally I'm vibrating your arm, like I'm literally bringing vibration and what in massage world, you know, in body work, we would call topotment. You know, when I was in a massage school, uh, one of the things I was known for was for my topotement. That's like, <laughs> they'd know when Porangi was in session because everyone would hear like, you know, on someone's body and they'd be like, oh shit, he's going off again on somebody. They all knew, man. And they all knew to come get topotement with So that's like the basis of, what is it, Swedish style massage? It's a word that comes out of Swedish, but I mean, it's ancient. It's like being able to play the body's a drum is so is so primordial and it and it moves so much because you bring circulation you invigorate all the lymph starts to flow it's like yeah and so that's a big part of my work is i've talked to you in other realms is helping to us to remember that we're bodies we're, we're these bodies are drums these are instruments they're meant to mm-hmm. be played not to just be you know abused and walked around in and you know treated like a monkey suit but it's like this is an instrument you know you can make all kinds of sounds with this incredible instrument and so and remembering how we're expressive beings and giving permission to be expressive we forget that right it's so basic so a lot of the work that's done on the table in a session can already be achieved and already be more deeply ingrained and amplified in our daily practice when we remember how to express ourselves how to move as a light body how to be vibrating and more vibrant in everything we do Mm -hmm. 
So there's a lot of takeaways from this, and I want to start, you know, giving people some of them. And, mm. and you know, so some of the things that I've gotten from you is let, let's talk about breath because yeah. that's something we can all practice. You don't need to go see Parangi in Sedona <laughs> or anywhere else to get that. That's something that all of us can do. So Absolutely. one of the things that you were, you know, teaching me in the process of is that circular breathing. But also just, so, so take us through some breaths that people can do. And, you know, yogis talk about this. Breath is such a tradition that spans everything. But a few takeaways on what people can do to advance their own breath practice, adding more diaphragm breathing in in general, and then taking it to the next level, which is the master teacher being like circular breathing or spiral breathing, as you were getting into earlier. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, there are many breathing uh, practices and yoga practices, you know, fire breath, various things. I think one of the ones, if to hone in on one that is like a therapeutic right off the bat, is to really work with the belly breath. So the Buddha breath, and breathing in through the nose, filling up our belly, literally let it expand. Don't exhaling out of mouth and why is that so hard right now you might try to do that and you're like and it's, you get this shallow breath and what happens and this is my theory is that at some point Aubrey was you know this five-year-old kid you're on the playground man and you know some kid walks up to you and fucking like hits you upside the head and you start crying and he's like why are you crying what are you a little girl and what do you do he says suck it up and what do you do and what do we do when we walk around is this like Macho sucked, up. sucked up for the rest of our into our adulthood and that's like how men we're not allowed to cry we're not allowed to be sensitive and to feel this soft vulnerable part of who we are this feminine part of who we are which is part of our wisdom it's our gut intuition our our connection to source right mm -hmm. connection literally the umbilical cord right through all our mothers mitochondrial moms all the way back to source mm -hmm. and so we can't feel this so we literally divide it and so we're walking around puffed up and like macho men and what's and same happens with the girls so little girls on the on out on the playground right and she shows up to school you know and this other kid says this little boy punk boy is like you're fat mm. what does she do sucks it up sucks it up push out her breast stick out her butt you know has to be this iconic thing that don't ruin is, sticking out your breasts and sticking I out mean, your butt put on you. you're brazilian for, um, for god's sake it's there baby it's there you know if you're breathing from your belly it's still there <laughs> you got to balance the two yeah. <laughs> but that's you know and so 99 percent of every client i've ever worked on whether they're 12 years old or they're 80 years old this has been like a common thread i've seen i can't tell you how many people mm. is that we're shut down so the first part is learning this so this is the breath breathe into our belly right Feel to the dantian. Go to the belly button, go two fingers below, and then feel that point. And you want to push that point out as you breathe in. And through the nose, and then exhale the mouth. And let the exhale be uncontrived. Let it be uncontrolled. Let it be that sigh. There's already pressure built up, and then just let that naturally exhale. That's the key. And keep working that. Give it a sound. Just give me permission to have a sound. It doesn't have to be this like controlled thing at all. The more, the less controlled it can be, the more therapeutic, the more powerful. Right. And then you'll start to feel things just let go. I think, you know, you're definitely, your explanation was part there, but I also think part of it is that stress and breath are so closely related, you know? So yeah. both stress, the breath can create more stress or the breath can create less stress or stress can create a certain type of breath. And so many of us are so stressed out. And when you're stressed, you know, chest breathing is the breath that, it, that associates with stress. I think there's even been, you know, clinical research oh, yeah. that's shown that it's not possible to have those levels of stress when you're doing proper diaphragm breathing. It yes. will unwind the stress. It's not, it's not possible. You know, if you continue that for a while, the stress will alleviate, you know, the physical stress. You may still have some mental stuff, but that starts to go too, you know. And so we are carrying so much of a load, you know, and sometimes we try to unload that purely, you know, with our own minds. Like, oh, the mind's loaded. Let me unload the mind. Well, why don't use, you know, this tool that we have available to us called the breath and right. stop worrying so much about the mind i mean that's the basis of so much meditation you know oh, is just okay. focusing on the breath why because that's the tool that can unwind the mind it's and the gateway that's the gateway exactly yeah. so vipassana meditation it's mm -hmm. all around breath right that's right. what you study 10 days of breathing and sitting in silence kundalini, like, vipassana, kundalini yeah. whatever i yeah. mean different styles kundalini you're drawing this breath up from the earth like up through your 
whatever that thing is you squeeze in your taint and then all the way up through your head and back down, you know, the front side, and at least in the visualization that I was given for the Kundalini. But then Vipassana is focusing on the sensation of the breath the it right past through yeah. your nostrils. Yeah. All of these different And then tools. expanding it to scan the whole body. But yeah. it's always the gateway is the breath. Mm. That's, that's it. Because it, it, it's, think about it. It starts and it ends with the breath. Mm. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, if you're a human being walking on this earth, it all started when you took your first breath and it's all going to end when you take your last one. Not all. Well, <laughs> this part, this part of it, this part of it, you know what I'm <laughs> yeah, saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. This part of this experience for, for sure. sure. For sure. And, and so that, that's so it's just for me, that's a reminder of like, so mastering the breath. I don't know what else you want to master. At the end of the day, it's like, if you don't master anything else, <laughs> you should master, master the, the first and last thing you ever do is to bring it, your awareness and really cultivate the breath. And that's where we get to the ditch. I mean, the Aboriginal people were that's on the, uh, that's the That's the PhD. That's the PhD, yeah. but it's really accessible. And I always try to tell people that because I, I went through the journey myself. When I learned the ditch, there was years that went by exactly there was years that i went went by that i thought i can't play this thing i was gifted a didge right um it was an indonesian one like a tourist didge and a friend gave this to me in college when i was at duke and um i tried to play that thing tried to play that thing and i could get a sound out of it but there was no way in hell that i was going to get that thing to circular like to keep going i'm like how and i gave up i was like i think aboriginal people have another gene and it's like <laughs> this is like a unique thing that you have to be the oldest people on the planet to be able to play this thing and so i put it in the corner and it was a nice tourist just like a nice piece of art in my house right uh -huh. and um years later literally like five years later i'm i'm back at uh, in sedona of all places where i live now right where we live now sometimes mm -hmm. and an old brother of mine old friend from brazil he was actually making digits out of agave, which is the ones we play from the desert, right? The agave. I have one of his. You have one of those, exactly. Yeah. So he was making them. And I'm, he's a Brazilian, he's a drummer. And we used to play together. We started actually my Brazilian groups. He was one of the founders with me of Liberdade in, in Phoenix. And, um, and he's playing it. And he's just like, I'm like, dude, if you can play it, I know I have the genes <laughs> to do that. <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. so i'm like okay so so what am i doing wrong he's like well let me see your your dig and so he gets you know he's making them now and so he starts playing the one i have i pulled it out of the you know my shit and he's like dude this thing's got a crack right here see this little crack it's like there's no back pressure there's no way you're ever gonna get that to play and i'm like you can be the best ditch player ever and i'm like so years have passed and so once i knew that once that like had been removed out of my way is like an obstacle it was like okay that's it i'm doing it and so he told me the trick to take a straw and water Get the bubbles, blow bubbles right, yeah. like your so mom told so you not people, to do. Tell people right, this, this trick. Yeah, this is how you learn how to circular breathe. So once I put my mind to it, I learned this. I literally got it down in a day. It was one day. So okay. I know anybody can do it in a day. No, I disagree <laughs> with Parangi here, but it's you know professional difference because that shit's hard. It's super hard. But it's definitely so, possible because so I've we seen... We don't have a straw here. Do we, we don't have a straw, but okay, you can so, just describe it. Okay, Most so I'll describe it. Anyways. This is going to look funny because I'm doing this without a dig in front of my mouth and everything, but check it out. So you get a straw, you put a little bit of water in there and you start blowing bubbles and you just and blow bubbles hold a little air in your cheeks because your cheeks is like the bellows okay think of the bellows like of a bagpipe mm -hmm. so you know it's a constant note because the dude's filling up the bagpipe with air and then he's squeezing it with his arm to keep the note always playing and he keeps refilling it and keeps squeezing it so it never ends same things happening here only your bellows are your cheeks and really the cheeks and like the throat and everything, this whole apparatus here. And your diaphragm is the pump. That's what's keeping your pressure, okay? And then you're basically using your muscles to then squeeze the bellows out of your cheeks, pushing the air out mechanically while you sniff in and refill your 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 bladder or your your pump, you know, mm -hmm. the, the actual bellows. So it, it looks like this. With the straw, it's very easy because little back pressure, it's a little straw, you're blowing bubbles, do what your mom never told you to do and blow. And you're blowing bubbles once you get the bubbles constant then you can graduate to a dig which has a lot more back pressure and so it looks like this and i'm gonna do it without the dig but you can also do this without a straw this is the other way to get and right for those it. of you who are just listening on itunes on my site aubreymarcus.com there will be a video so you can forward to this and you can actually see what parangi is doing <laughs> so there's three parts to this breath check it out the first one is just a regular breath so put air in your cheeks everyone do this okay this is the first one and squeeze them out with your hands go and tighten your lips okay so you got that one right now as you do that i want you to sniff in 
sniff in at the same time as you squeeze the air that's stored in your cheeks because that air is here it's not in your diaphragm you still have air in your lungs in your diaphragm so so i'm literally going taking a deep sniff like in, in a belly sniff remember all of this is belly breath we're not even dealing with chest here so so you're sniffing in as i squeeze it out now take your hands away and just do it with the muscles so it looks like this That's the bridge breath. Exactly. Nice. I like that face. <laughs> and then the second part is the regular breath where you just now, you've, you're refilled. You literally have new air in your pump and now just push it out. Exhaling, right? So, and then you're going to have to refill it because you're going to run out. So before you run out, your pump is on empty, you start to refill it. So imagine my hand is like the level of like our, our air level, mm -hmm. all right, inside. So it looks like this as I do it. And I'm going to show you. And then you're going to connect the two. So it looks like this. Here's the exhale. Parangi can do this forever. The never-ending buzz. The never-ending Brumski. So with the digit, the digit sounds much better. Give you, it doesn't look give as ridiculous. A, if he ever has a child, he can give it a one-hour continuous raspberry. It's it won't true. even, know, it won't totally even know what happened. It'll be like, this isn't even possible. How rude. And the ladies like it too. I will lie. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> secrets. So another reason why men should do it. What's not up, to mention, Maxim Magazine? You want a new mention, tip? Not to mention, you, you if you snore, you'll stop snoring, and that's probably one of the biggest like just side benefit, right? There's actually been medical studies. There's actually a clinic in Germany that does this. People who have sleep apnea, your what are your choices? Surgery or sticking a device in your mouth, right? And having to sleep every night with a device so you don't suffocate. Instead, if you learn dig and not even circular breathing, just the act of blowing, it strengthens the epiglottis, all the connective tissue, the fascia. It actually tonifies. And then you stop snoring. It stops closing the hatch so that you and literally choke on yourself. And man, that, you get more oxygen. You're more awake. You're more alive just in that alone. Not to mention... When you play the dig, you're literally resonating every cranial bone. Your optical nerve is vibrating, like, and not to mention what you're doing for others if you play to other people. It's just, it's one of those things. I believe two things. If everyone became a body worker on this planet and everyone learned how to play dig, the world would be a better place. Mm. Because A, we would know how to touch each other in a way that's not just sexual, but in a loving, compassionate way, mm -hmm. men and women. And we'd all know how to breathe and actually connect to source. And I think, man... That would be it. Where can people get a ditch? Where, where would you recommend? Just random people listening all over. They're not going to be able to get your homeboy's special ditch. You know, right. where, do you, where do you just get a ditch that's not going to be cracked and thwart your life? All right, check it out. I'm, I, I never want to support plastic, but the simplest, cheapest way to get a ditch in an urban environment is a PVC pipe. No joke. PVC, one and a half inch diameter. So it's about that wide, right? And about 51 centimeters in length should give you around the key of D, I believe. And that's it. Put some beeswax on the end of it. Literally, you get some beeswax from the store. Melt it like on a low heat. Dip it in there. Let it dry. Right? Dip it in again. Couple coats of it. Form it to your mouth and you've got yourself a decent ditch. Paint it. Draw on it. Whatever. And that's the cheapest, most direct way to start playing dig. And it's simple. I mean. Nice. Yeah. That's. Look at that. You went all Martha Stewart on you us know. right there. Right? <laughs> DIY dig. I'm telling you. DIY. Morangi. <laughs> Dope. And I've done workshops and it's like working with kids in inner cities. Like you got to use what you got, you know. Yeah. And there is a guy, if you look up YouTube and look up Hoovery Do. <laughs> Worst case scenario, <laughs> get your Hoover vacuum cleaner on, man. <laughs> <laughs> Hoovery Do. Awesome. <laughs> Um, well, cool. Well, that's an awesome takeaway. And then the other takeaway I think that you were talking about earlier is just start moving, start using your body as an instrument. There's a, there's a saying that you have about singing and dancing. How's that go? I yeah, won't spoil it. Dan dancing play. So dancing play is, and, and there's an old African proverb a lot of people know, you know, um, have heard before. If, if you can walk, you can dance. And if you can talk, you can sing. And it's really so true. And I think that resonates so deeply. You know, a lot of us have this story. And again, it goes back to the playground, right? The same thing with when our breath got shut down. So we're on that playground and you started singing. And you were, you know, singing something to yourself. And someone heard you and was like, oh, that's terrible. Or shut up. 
you're stupid. And what happened? We suddenly agreed. We believed that, that agreement and we kept that. And we thought, oh man, I can't sing. And so we take that into our adult life and we're shut down. We close down this, this throat chakra, you know, the center of our expressiveness. And that stays with us until we finally remove that scar and, mm -hmm. and let go of that agreement. And the same goes with dancing. Uh, all of us are on the junior high wall, you know, like I'm not getting out there, man. Right, right. <laughs> Cause someone laughed at us when we were young and said, you, you're goofy looking. And, and that stuff is deep, man. It's, it's underneath a lot of our pretense as adults, you know? And so getting back into that is, is really starting to get into your movement, get into your sound practice. You are a musical being. We have a voice. Each person's voice is unique, you know? There's formants in our voice that is like a, a fingerprint. And each human being is unique and has a beautiful voice. And it's like whatever it is, whether it's high, low, however it wants to express itself, give it permission. That's the first step. And then get into your breath and freaking holler, scream, make it, let it sing. Because, you know, you go to a bird, you don't say, oh, bird, that was a really nice uh, lecture you just gave. No, you know, it's like the bird, they don't, they don't speak, they sing, they only sing. Everything that comes from a bird is a song. And really the word, I think on some level, the word was never meant to be spoken. It was meant to be sung. You know, say in the beginning, there was the word. And I think, and the word was sung is the, mm -hmm. the second part to that that kind of got lost in, in right. translation. Very cool, my friend. Yeah. Um, so we, we're going to be working on, you know, getting some of this stuff out there, some programs that people can do. But where can people find, you know, some of your work, some of your music, some of these things as well? Yeah. Um, I, right now we have a, a really sweet website that we just launched earlier this year, Porangi, my name, .com. It's pretty. The good side of having a really challenging name is that no one can jack your name that well. <laughs> so at least for now, it's, uh, it's still not jacked. So just P-O-R-A-N-G-U-I at .com. And then um, we've got the Twitter and the Facebook and all those good things. But we're doing things in Sedona all the time. And we're going to be doing things with, on it like we just did at South by Southwest. Um, so please be in touch with us and, and come get some of this resonance. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Why don't you bring us out with a little song? Bring us out with a little song. Yeah. Warrior poet, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, family. Thank you, my brother. Thank this you, was man. awesome. Love you guys. I'll be traveling a bunch, but I'm going to try to get some more of these podcasts out here soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>